Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Let's dig into Hebrews 12, 2. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Tell to the, talk to the pastor next to you and say, look into Jesus. Oh man, that was weak. Turn to the pastor next to you and say, look into Jesus. <laughs> Have you ever asked yourself a question, how do I look to Jesus? This is a day that demonstrates such great gener- generosity of who God is. Maybe this day is a paint, is a painting rather of who God is than who really the world needed. I say that because we see a lot of things happening. Have you thought about if they only needed the blood of Jesus, what did they have to strip him? If they only needed the blood of Jesus, it wouldn't have taken a lot of things to do. It would have just been a simple cut on the wrist and the blood is dripped. But Jesus went farther than that. Do you realize that no, no sacrifice throughout the Bible was crowned with thorns? No sacrifice throughout the Bible was stripped. No sacrifice in the Bible was flogged before it was put on the altar. No thief was flogged before they were put on the cross. So the punishment that Jesus is taking on is something extraordinary from any other punishment even the other wrong evil people took on. And I'm here to remind you today that it was because of his love that he chose that you and I can be reunited, not to go to heaven, but reunited into the family of God. And this is why I say this. In the world today, there's multiple sorrows and frustrations. Sicknesses, wars, family dysfunction. And all of this has been wrapped up in fear. At the root of this, really the sense of urgency is fear, is what is going to happen to me today? What's going to happen to my future if things don't change right now? If the gospel we preach through the cross, about the cross, about the resurrection, is not for now, then what is it for? If the thing that we come to church to listen to every day is not for now, then what is it for? I had a story one time of two great evangelists. One was a, an entrepreneur, one was a Bible teacher, and they were coming from Burma, and they were on a plane because Burma, there was war breaking out in Burma. And they're sitting on the plane, they all introduced to each other, and the marketplace investor said this to the missionary. He said, 
what what I built will not survive the war. What you built will outlast the war. I'll say that again. The investor said to the missionary, he said, what I built will not outlast the war. What you built will outlast the war. There's an investment that is greater than any investment that God did on the cross for us. And that investment was to send his only son in the world. You see, the victory on the cross is not a victory for heaven. The victory on the cross is a victory for you. The blood of Jesus being put on the mercy seat, being applied so you can plead the blood of Jesus is not so that heaven can feel good. That blood is so that you can come boldly to the throne of grace and say, God, here I am. What had separated you away from fellowship with the Father now has been removed. And now you can walk boldly in this confidence, I am a child of God. I am an heir of Christ. I am the righteousness of Christ in Jesus. I have been born again. You know, I always wondered this. Um, I always wondered if you don't believe in miracles or that miracles are not for today, how are you going to believe salvation? How are you going to believe this total rewiring of, of what was once dead and now has been made new? Paul says, the past is gone. I'm not who I used to be. Behold, I have become new. The greatest miracle of all time happened at the, at the moment when the whole nation of Israel was crying. Let me take you for a moment to the cross. See, what heaven was looking at as victory, everybody in town at Golgotha was looking at it in pain. Can you take a mental picture of Jesus on the cross and his mother standing right there facing the cross? The agony. Can you imagine what the other churches in the, in the city were doing? They're probably praying that something doesn't go bad. They're probably praying that if there's a really strong God in heaven, he should rescue Jesus off the cross. Maybe there was a revival in town, a prayer warrior team that's like, we are, we are people of God. And they are praying in those secret rooms in the city saying something needs to happen now for the gospel to have that much strong effect in this town. Just, just walk in this memory line with me. Look at the disciples. They have walked with this person. They've seen blind eyes opened. They've seen the dead raised. They have seen the sick healed. They have seen the lepers cleansed. But when they turn and see on the cross, they see the healer, the cleanser, the prophet, the one who says, I have living water on the inside of me to the woman at the well. The one who said, I see the Father. Therefore, I do what the Father tells me to do is hanging on a cross, helpless. This is, to, to me, the greatest lesson of love. A father who could do anything for his son withheld his ability, withheld his power, 
We've held all of heaven in all of its glory so that you and I can be saved. And not just saved. Because like I told you earlier, the blood could have done that. But he went farther and said, for their bodies to be made whole, for them to be free from sickness, for them to be redeemed better than where they were before. And I'm going to make a new covenant. A better covenant. And I'm going to call them sons and daughters. I'm going to call them redeemed. I'm going to see them through the, through the body of my son Jesus every time they come to me in prayer. This was the sacrifice that nobody has ever seen. I can, I can see the devil. I can see Satan with all his angels thinking, my plan has worked. I can see the silence in heaven. Revelation says heaven stood still. Nobody could open the seals. There was nothing to do. I mean, even the people that knew God in heaven that had been worshiping for a long time could not even worship. There was silence in heaven, silence in the earth. It says it went dark. The earth shook when, when Jesus died. But let me show you something about you and me that Jesus demonstrated. He never said a single word of complaint to his father. You see, you could be going through a lot right now, or you could be high up on a mountain, or you could be in any situation that you're in. But if you don't know who God is, it's in those defining moments that the declarations that come out of you either align with who the Father is or will end up aligning with what the enemy is trying to accomplish. Can you imagine Jesus saying, Father, I thought we just needed the blood. You could, this could have been easy. I could even have donated blood. But can you imagine being a child of God and you have to deal with cancer and I didn't pay for that? I was reading a book by, by Rick Renner. And it's a red book. <laughs> I have a title of it in, the, in my notes. I'm going to go to it because I want to recommend it. It's, he describes what happens at the cross so well, paid in full by Rick Renner. And he describes the moment that they put the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. The thorns were about two, four inches long. And they didn't just sit it on his head. They pressed it onto his head. And then they mocked him. He was in other words, these thorns were so deep that they could go and scratch the skull of his head. And that means he was already bleeding from his head. And the next step they did was take him for the flogging. And the way Rick Renner describes it in his book, I was like, God, I've read the Bible all my life. But the description of the gravity of what is going on, Jesus could have died at the flogging stake. 
It was a card of nine tiles with bones and glass in it, so sharp. And Jesus was stripped totally naked. His hands tied around a, a concrete pole. In other words, no way to even try to condense the pain or the experience that was about to go on. And then they start throwing the whip around. It would wrap around his body and then they would rip the flesh out. And I know sometimes you think they just did it 39 times. It wasn't just 39 times. It was more times than they could count. Because the guys that were flogging Jesus, they flogged him until they were out of energy to flog him anymore. And what happens is you bleed so much that usually there was a, a rule that nobody survived the 39th stripe because you would be dead. You'd be dead from bleeding. You'd become so thirsty before you even reach the cross. Now, here is Jesus in this situation, already indescribable, already his body fully deformed, already out of any form of identity as Christ, and he's walking down the Via Della Rosa to go to, to be hung on the cross after totally being torn apart. And do you know what the Father is doing? He's saying, I can't interrupt what's going on. Put yourself in the father's shoes for a moment and think about that person sitting next to you if you're sitting near your daughter or son. And you have all the power to come in and intercept. And your son knows it, if daddy shows up right now, it would be the ideal time. But your son chooses, I'm not going to call daddy for that mission. I'm going to stay in this state and my daddy's going to maintain his state because we have a mission here. Whatever the devil stole from us, we are going to return because this, this is the only way the devil can't see what's coming at him. And Jesus hanging on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And maybe the day that you gave your life to Jesus was the day you thought you know Jesus in all his wisdom. But do you realize that the greatest mission was so necessary to your victory that Jesus had to go where nobody could see him. He had to go where nobody could, could touch him, but his own father. He went face to face with the enemy in the darkest place possible after he says, Father, into your hands, I commit your spirit. I commit my spirit. That's why I always say this. If you, if you read the story, the statement he says before that, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. And this is David leaving translation. <laughs> I, have that. I have that coming soon. I'm just kidding. You know when... When someone is about to prepare for battle, and then they're like, I need a glass of water before I go for this mission, that's what I believe Jesus was saying. 
I'm about to go somewhere. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're healed. Yes, you're delivered. Yes, you're set free. But I got to confirm this victory. I got to disarm the enemy. In the book From the Cross of the Throne by E.W. Kenyon, he, he says the three days in the grave were just as detrimental as the cross. Let me ask you this question. How do you treat your salvation when nobody's looking? That's the test that Jesus was walking into when he went to the grave. He walked right into darkness and stood in the middle of it. And for three days, the Bible says, I'll read it. It's in Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So what was with him? The Father. So this whole time, from the straps, from the crown, from, from being sentenced to death, the Father is present. We have a saying back home, a man or a woman who can withhold the demonstration of their power at a, at a moment they're supposed to is a lot stronger than a loud person who has no power but is ready to demonstrate the little they have. Because what we're taught is the loudest person gets the ear. What we're taught is, you know what, if, 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 if you look like you got it, you got it. But can you imagine what is going on at this instant when Jesus is in a place where no human can see him but God? That's why I ask you that question. When you're in your darkest place, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, it's a sickness. Maybe it's, it's, it's a family dysfunction place. Maybe, maybe it's, it's something indescribable. Only you understand who is right there with you. Because the one who is there with you at that moment will not withhold back. At that moment, whatever you declare will either reveal the glory of God in your life or might keep you there for the rest of your life. And that's why to me, this day is so important. This moment that happens, I think to me, I take up my cross daily, like Jesus says, and follow. Because I know what Christ has accomplished in my life is an ongoing mission. You know, oftentimes, I've been taught this all through Sunday school. You think, I want to be like David in the Bible. I want to be like Samson in the Bible. Maybe at some point you thought you want to be those people. I'm here to challenge you this evening. I'm here to remind you of the mission. I'm here to remind you of the call of God on, you, on your life. Maybe this day cascades into a mission on your life that will never be the same again. That God is not calling you to be a David in the Bible. 
God is not calling you to be a Samson for this generation. Let me ask you, what's your biggest giant today? If you name every giant, you have Goliath, you have so many. You're better than David. God is calling us to be family with him. God is calling us to carry the mission of his gospel in the world we're in. God is calling us to be Christ when there's war going on. God is calling us to be the answer to the world that because they can't see him, they can see you. God is calling us not to be a, a, on the side of what things lines up with what you truly want to believe. Or else you won't bear your own cross. When you're in those difficult, challenging moments and you're wondering, God, why are you not showing up? And God said, David, I sent you to Calcutta, India, not for me to show off for you, but for you to be faithful in that place. I sent you to this area because there's a place, there's a purpose I have for you that's greater than the needs you desire. I remember Pastor's story. Pastor Dwayne tells a story there in, in Mexico, in this village, and there's sewage, there's a horrible river on the other side, stinky as, as he could describe it. And they couldn't even tell how bad it was. The kids played in the mud, played in the soil, did all of these things, and he was still ministering the gospel from village to village to village to village. The faithfulness and the grace of God protected them from seeing how messed up the situation they were in was. Because they kept their eyes on Jesus. And you see, you may also want to say, you know what, David? I still want to be like Samson, maybe. I want to be as strong as Samson one day. You see, just because God is doing amazing things in your life doesn't mean you're pleasing him. I may be quoting from Pastor again here. So amazing things is not proof that God changed your life. Amazing things is proof that God's nature doesn't change. The condition of religion, ritual sacrifices, ordinances, leaders in trouble, system can't, can't be trusted, people like sheep without a shepherd, is a condition of the entire Old Testament. Whenever they needed something in the wilderness, they said, God, we're hungry. Give us some more food. Manna came from heaven. The very next thing they did, they displeased God and started murmuring again. They go to the mount and, and here they're, they are so happy. God is, is doing amazing things. Moses is up to talk with God and Moses stays there for too long. You know what they did? They built a calf out of all that they had collected from Egypt and started to worship it. And when Moses showed up down on the mountain, they were like, well, the calf came out of the fire. I want to say this to you. They were delivered from the oppressor, but they were not delivered from oppression. 
They were delivered from the oppressor in Egypt, but they were not delivered from oppression. Daniel 11.32 says, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. He was crucified, laid bare, and naked in his death on the cross as heaven stood in, in, in restraint. First Peter 1 20, 21 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. In other words, there's a path of, of living a life that's dedicated to God, that's about knowing God, even when you're going through difficult times. I know, I know what the Father has in store for me. Colossians 1, 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that all endurance and patience with joy. For all endurance and patience with joy. The gospel we preach is founded on looking to Jesus. I want to tell you a story. We were, I was about maybe 10, 10, 12 years old. And my dad and my mom had just started their ministry not long after that. And we were renting this house. And I remember, I remember the, the landlord, I don't know why he would always come when he was drunk. It was like Sunday evening after service, he would show up right on the door drunk and saying, Pastor, you owe me rent for this month. Breath all stinky. And sometimes there was no offering. So that means my dad had to ask and beg and say, you know what? How about you come next month? I'll have this month and next month's rent all together and I'll pay you. And this man would say every derogatory thing you could say about being a pastor, about being a man of God. You guys who can't pay for nothing, who can afford anything. I've put my roof over you. I mean, he would say the most possible derogatory things. Well, my dad is trying to protect us from hearing what the man was saying. He's pushing us back in the house. He's standing there literally powerless. And I remember as a little kid listening to what's going on, I'm like, I, I've heard him pray. I've heard my mom pray. I've seen things happen in services. But really, isn't God big enough to pay rent? Or maybe big enough to just we own our own house? Isn't the father who owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills have at least enough money to just drop it into my parents' pocket, miraculously appear? And I remember having trouble reconciling with this God growing up. Because this drunk guy did not come once, did not come twice. He came often. And, and I knew from my, from my understanding, he had to be drunk so he could say whatever he needed to say. And then when he gets paid, he will apologize for it. Sorry, pastor, I was just drunk. But I remember that caused me to begin to think who is God? Why should I believe in God? 
if this is the kind of situation I'm going to have to be exposed to. But again, I saw the faithfulness that my father walked into. They never had a single day where they doubted that that rent was going to be paid. There was never a single day he said something back to that man that wasn't geared to the salvation of his life. Not a single day. And today, actually, a couple of years ago, my mom can testify to this for more accuracy. That man came to know Jesus. He never came to the service. But every time he came to my dad, he got ministered to, ministered to, ministered to, ministered to. I mean, he was getting ministry while he was begging for rent. I began to see the nature of God through my dad's faithfulness to consistently minister Christ to a person who was demanding so much that I think it would have been okay for him to lose a little bit of the Christ in him. And I know you know what I mean. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. That it would have been okay for him to say some things to this man. If he had the appearance of, I want my kids to to know that I'm powerful, he could have done some things with his hands because this man was drunk. All he needed was a little push. Just a little one. Backwards. And maybe the story today would be different. The pastor killed a drunk man. But God's faithfulness in that moment, now when I look back, I see the father saying, I was right there with all power to manifest my glory because I cared about one more person that needed to be saved. No matter how callous their heart was, I was in that situation so I could demonstrate that I have all power and the glory of God saves I could tell you story after story. There's another one that I know I'm, th- I'm talking about my family a lot. There's one where my dad was, was doing evangelism on, on, the, on the street and he's walking, preaching. And these two guys are walking towards him. And one of them is holding, you know, you know those beer bottles in a, in a brown bag. And he reaches to them and then he says, can I tell you about Jesus? And one of them says, why? We didn't ask you. And he's like, well, I feel an unction to tell you that God wants to heal you of alcoholism. And the guy turns around, gets his bottle, and slams it right on his forehead. There's even a cut now on his forehead, a scar there. He falls over on the street. I wasn't there for this scene, but the whole city knew about this story. And everybody remembers what he did. He got up, folded his Bible, and kept going. At the next corner, started preaching again. These two guys that did that, one of them is a youth pastor, (laughs) and the other one is a pastor of one of the campuses. I'm telling you these things, why? Because what you're going through, give God the glory, give God the glory. Sometimes you have to take a pause at these things. You see, with these, you begin to understand the cross through the lens of the Father and the nature of the Father. That whatever you're encountering is an opportunity of of ministry for someone in front of you. 
Hebrews 11, 36 to 39 says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were killed with sword. They were about in skin of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Anybody endured some flogging in here? Anybody endured affliction in this room? And the very next chapter, Hebrews 12, says, Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I'm going to close with this. You see, the most shameful thing that could happen to God was for his son to hang on the cross for the same reason the thieves did, for the same reason any person would that was going wrong against the Roman Empire. What made it shame was because the all-powerful God and His ability was supposed to be put on display, but God didn't display it. God waited for the moment where Jesus would be face to face with the planner, with the deceiver, with the one who caused the sin in this world and says, that's when I'm going to kill this from its root. And the Bible says that Jesus got the keys of the kingdom. And he said to you and I, believers in this room, he says, go, teach, go, preach, go, heal, go, raise. Freely you have received. Freely give. That even there'll be times in your life when the only confidence you have left is because the Father did it so I can do it. I can hang on so much longer, but I'm going to keep believing. He endured the shame for the joy set. You see, we have, we have taught the story of the cross and we've, we've made it so painful and removed the joy that Jesus is talking about. He said, for the joy set before him. The Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So what he was seeing, what Jesus was seeing, what Jesus was about to go through was only a stopping place of the greatness of his love for you was just a a momentary station for him to display that I'm I'm not just bringing you back in the family. No, 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 no. Everything that had taken you and bound you and kept you out of this, I'm going to deliver you from you too. 
You see, I said earlier, his blood was the necessary ingredient. No animal sacrifice required stripes to atone sin. No other sacrifice was ever crowned, let alone a crown of thorns. But all of this was so as he could demonstrate his love for us. All of this was so as he could demonstrate that now you have become like me. You can know the Father. And that's why I started off by saying, have you ever wondered that the story of the cross is really about knowing who God is? And for a man like you and I, flesh and blood, being so confident in the plan of God amidst the chaos in his life so somebody else could get saved. If you don't mind, bow your head and close your eyes. Father, I thank you this this evening. I thank you for the victory on the cross. I thank you for everybody in this room and those watching online right now that want to get into a deeper relationship with you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that as we pray right now, that your spirit is moving deep within every heart, deep within every mind. Deep within every situation, I cancel and, and curse the plan of the enemy. I curse the, the plan of sickness of the enemy. I cancel the plan of familyless, family dysfunction. Because you are the answer and you have given us your blood. You've given us authority to plead your blood. You've, you've elevated us, Lord, by the victory in the dark place that we, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil. And Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room right now and those watching online all over the world that we declare that we are healed and we're set free and we are redeemed. We've been met new. The old is gone and the new has come. If you don't mind, hold the hand of the person next to you and repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the blood that he shed on the cross for me. I thank you that I'm saved because of the blood. I thank you because I'm in the family of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I live a victorious life because I'm in the family of Jesus. And I am saved from this day on. My life is yours. I'm committed to you. And I thank you that I've been made new. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org 
follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.